Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about Frederick the Great. Frederick II of Prussia, probably the most important and famous king from the entire history of Prussia. Prussia, of course, being the uh, the precursor to modern Germany. Now, this bloke, he was an absolute red-hot pistol. He turned Prussia from this scattered group of, of rubbish provinces into a European great power. And he did this by absolutely kicking ass on the battlefield. He won the Seven Years' War, which had no business winning more or less, I think it's fair to say, probably the first real global conflict. Uh, and, and in doing so, he, he reorganised the entire Prussian military. But on top of that, he was also a great patron of the arts. He played the flute. He loved philosophy and all that kind of nonsense. Uh, he collected paintings and he built all sorts of beautiful buildings in and around Berlin. So he had a very, very interesting and, and sometimes conflicting personality. This bloke was very, very progressive and forward thinking with a lot of the stuff that he uh, he did as, uh, during his career as king. But he also had some pretty troubled views that were uh, that were definitely on the wrong side of history, uh, as we'll discuss further. And uh, anyway, you slice it, after his death, he became something of, of a German historical legend. He was put up on top of a, a great big pedestal. But this kind of was his undoing from, from a reputational standpoint anyway in the 20th century, because of course, at this point, old mate Hitler basically attempted to, to co-opt the identity of, of, of Frederick the Great as a great German leader and cut, cut, trying to essentially tried to tie him into uh, into the Nazi ethos and, and what was going on during the Third Reich, all of that horrific stuff that happened there. And, and as a result, the reputation of Frederick the Great uh, suffered enormously. And it's really, you know, it, it's still recovering today. So what we're going to do, we're going to have a chat about uh, what this bloke got up to uh, and starting from the beginning, as you'd expect, right, to, right from the start of the story here, when he was born. He was born on the 24th of January, 1712 uh, in Berlin as the son of Frederick William I and Sophia Dorothea of Hanover. Now, this young bloke, he did not get on with his dad at all. He absolutely hated his guts. Frederick William I was known as the Soldier King. He was obsessed with the military and he had an absolutely raging temper. And uh, a young Fritz, he actually, he, he wasn't very interested in, in this sort of thing. He wasn't particularly interested in even really royalty and statecraft and all of that sort of stuff. He was uh, much more interested in music and philosophy and that sort of stuff, as I said. His dad wanted him to become much more military than, uh, than the young prince was, was interested in. And as a result, these two uh, clashed and conflicted basically throughout uh, you know, the, their enti- uh, Frederick's entire sort of uh, upbringing and childhood and into his teenage years as well. Now, Fritz is brought up by French tutors. And one of these tutors, was a real, he was a real sneaky bloke. His name was, uh, was Jacques Duhin. And he snuck Fritz this secret library of poetry uh, under, you know, right under his father's nose. So Fritz is still enjoying all these, you know, this art and poetry, even though his dad is attempting to get him uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of learned up on, on, on military and, and, and soldiers and, and, and guns and, and conquests and all that sort of stuff. But uh, again, Fritz isn't too interested in all that sort of stuff. As a young man, as, as an adolescent, I should say, he was uh, he was very, very close indeed with uh, this young Scottish page named Peter Keith. And now his dad didn't like this at all. This this sort of, uh, you know, flourishing relationship wasn't to, wasn't to his father's liking. And so Frederick William actually sent uh, uh, Keith off uh, near Holland. And as punishment for Fritz as well, young Frederick is sent off to a hunting lodge to, to repent of his sins, as, it, uh, as the story goes. Now, uh, this obviously was an attempt to, you know, get him to do all these manly, manly things, buddy, fixing motorbikes 
motorbikes and, and, and drinking beer and, and shooting animals and whatever else. But uh, it, it kind of backfires on Frederick William, the, his dad there, because uh, Fritz actually meets a guy named Hans Hermann von Cutter there, and these two become very, very close indeed. And uh, eventually, you know, as these this this sort of partnership, this uh, you know, this relationship continues, they actually stay um, uh, close to one another when uh, Fritz is forced into essentially joining the military as an officer. And while they're while they're touring the company that, that Fritz is, is touring the, the 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 nation of Prussia with, or all of these separate sort of uh, little uh, provinces and states that that compose the Holy Roman Empire, um, while uh, uh, Frederick is doing this. He's off there with Hans, and they're off near Mannheim at one point, which is a long way away from Berlin, right on the other side of the country, essentially. And uh, they're having a chat together, and and and, and uh, Hans comes to Fritz and he says, "Listen, mate, listen, bloody hate this, eh? I just absolutely bloody hate this soldiering life. It's terrible. Remember, you know, we're back hanging out, bloody eating grapes, listening to the, you know, listening to music and reading books and poetry and having a, having a great time. This soldier, you know, this soldier stuff, camp beds and and you know, tin soup and whatever else. I bloody hate it, mate." And Fritz says. Hans, you're absolutely right. It is absolutely bloody terrible, and I've had an absolute gutful. I tell you what, I don't know what to do about it. And Hans says, "Well, listen, mate, I've got an idea. I've, I've had this. I've had this idea about what we should do about it here. We're over in Mannheim, ages away from your dad. I reckon what we do." is we just get out of here. I reckon we just, middle of the night, sneak out of the camp and run away, flee to Britain. Imagine that. How romantic is that? Got a prince in exile, you know, away from his abusive, bloody, you know, oppressive father. It's a great idea. What do you reckon? What do you reckon? You know, let's get amongst it. And Fritzy goes, mate, I absolutely love this idea. We should absolutely, absolutely do it. It sounds fantastic. So what happens is that night, middle of the night, sneak out of the tent, on uh, pop, pop the gloves on, club, probably balaclava on as well, bloody Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible, and they try to sneak out of this fortified military encampment. And, of course, they are caught straight away because Robert Keith, the brother of Peter Keith, you know, the previous uh, previous mate of, uh, of Frederick's there, has caught wind of this, uh, this plan to abscond, and so he actually dobs them in. He dobs them in, and they get caught. Now... As a result of this, once they're busted and uh, and dobbed into the king, uh, Frederick he's dragged back in front of his father and he's thrown at the feet of Frederick William the First. He goes, "Ah, oh, yes, uh huh. Look at this. Look what the cat dragged in. Soldiering life wasn't suiting you, my son. It seems." And uh, and uh, Frederick goes, "Yeah, Dad. Honestly, uh, you yeah, know, wasn't wasn't too keen on it to be honest." And he says, "Well, look at this. I've heard that you blokes, you and Hans and this other fellow, whatever else, you are officers in my military. You're planning to actually free flee to Great Britain. So this is an act of treason." in my book and so you know what the penalty for that is obviously I'm going to chop your bloody head off mate and he goes dad you're not serious mate you can't you can't execute your own son you can't you know you, I'm, I'm next in line to the throne come on I mean let's let's be serious you, what, you, you're seriously going to kill me he goes oh wish there was something I could do about it mate oh but you know rules are rules got to stick to them oh dear how terrible this is but uh, yeah look mate treason in my army oh it's a serious serious business indeed and and Obviously, Frederick's there. He's, he's crapping his dacks. He's going, Dad. Seriously, mate. Come on. We've all we've all had a laugh today. But seriously, you're not gonna you're not gonna chop me head off. And Frederick uh, Frederick William goes, Ah, oh, mate. Well, nah. Psych. Psych, mate. Gotcha. And Ashton Kutcher jumps out from behind the throne with his little camcorder. Going, oh, punch, bro. Punch. Gotcha. Anyway, anyway. Obviously, his dad's just trying to give him a bit of a scare. And he goes, You know, Fritz, Fritz goes, oh, oh, all right, Dad. Okay, no worries. Look, you know, maybe I should take all the whole military business and all the kinging and that I'm supposed to. Maybe I'll take it a little bit more seriously from here. Anyway, thanks for that, Dad. No worries. We'll, uh, we'll take from here. Come on, Hans. Let's uh, let's get out of here. And, and Frederick William goes, hang on, mate. Hang on. What, what, one second. I mean, off you go. Yeah, no worries. But who's this Hans bloke? I don't know him. Who's he? He's not my son. He's he's still an officer. He's still fleeing. He's still getting his head chopped off, right? If you'll believe it, check this out. Frederick the Great, well, at this time, just Frederick, Prince Frederick, he is forced to watch 
as his father executes his best mate, Hans Hermann von Cutter. He is forced to watch as the axe falls. Now, of course, the young prince goes into a dead faint during this execution. And of course, uh, you know, he's absolutely devastated. And you would actually think that this would drive a further rift between father and son, because there's a lot of speculation here. There's a lot of speculation about the exact nature of the relationship that uh, Frederick the Great had with Hans Hermann von Cutter, and, and undoubtedly they were very, very close indeed. But uh, look, here you would think that, of course, yeah, this his, his dad killing his best mate would would be something that uh, you know would again, drive them further apart and make them hate each other. And if you believe it, it actually does the exact opposite because Frederick is forced once again into, not, not quite exile, but he's, he's sent off, more or less imprisoned really, uh, again in this, in this hunting lodge in, a, in an area called Kustren, which is uh, I think now out, out in uh, modern day Poland. Anyway, he's, he's sent off there for two years and his dad essentially forces him to learn about statecraft and militarism and all of the things that he wants to do. And, and believe it or not, Frederick actually finally gives in. He stops resisting his father's plans for him. He finally accepts his destiny as the future king of Prussia, and he finally gets down to business and starts to educate himself. And really, I think it's important to say, apply his considerable genius to the problem of statecraft. This guy was a very, very, very clever bloke. And after he started to hit the books and learn about the art of war and that sort of stuff, he became very, very good at what he did indeed. Anyway, Anyway, after this sort of uh, you know pseudo imprisonment at the hand of, hands of his father, uh, he rejoins the the Prussian nobility. He rejoins the court there. He's forced to marry this stone cold fox named Elizabeth Christina of Brunschweig Wolfenbüttel Bevern, which is. You know, a very easy name to say. Imagine having that on the bloody wedding invitations. Anyway, he absolutely hates her. If you'll believe it, he absolutely hates her. And there's, there's, there's a lot of again, as I've said, speculation about the the sort of the, the real nature of uh, of Frederick the Great as a private man, as as an individual. And I, I think you probably can you can probably already figure out what's going on. This bloke was. Probably a homosexual. This bloke was probably an enormously repressed and, and unhappy individual for, for much of his life because of the fact that he could never really be the person that he wanted to be. And it's a great tragedy to think about not only the, the, the impact that it would have had on him personally, you know, a, a, as a young man, as a king and all of that sort of thing, but so much of, of his character and, and his development was impacted by the fact that he just, because of the times, just couldn't be the man that he wanted to be. And this marriage was part of that. I mean, you know, not only the fact that he was, he, he, this bloke that he's watched, you know, have his head chopped off probably wasn't just his best mate probably his lover as well this is the the historical you know sort of speculation we have at the moment about it but so more so more with this marriage he absolutely hated this woman and he he spent about an hour with her at the wedding and 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 you know hung out with her for a bit on the wedding night but it's thought that he didn't even he didn't even root it he actually didn't even even consummate the marriage and uh, and after having taken the throne in 1740 despite her being you know the, the queen of, of Prussia he just didn't spend any time with her at all couldn't didn't didn't have time a day for her, her at all and, and this was largely representative of his worldview uh, as a whole on women he, he didn't like women he was a, he was a, a huge misogynist and he really didn't have much time for women uh, and again you know links have been made between that and his sexuality and and, and you know the, the climate at the time and, and how things were back then and, and unfortunately this was, you know, an element of his of his character that, that doesn't really uh, stand up to the, you know, the sniff test of uh, of history, unfortunately. But that's that's the way that it goes there. Anyway, as I mentioned, he takes the throne in 1740 after the death of his father, Frederick William I. Now, Fritz is absolutely keen as mustard to get stuck in with his dad's massive military, because as you remember.
remember Frederick William I, the soldier king, had a huge army, never really put it to great use. But Frederick, on the other hand, Frederick II, he is he is so, so ready to go here and start chucking some punches about. Now, he immediately kicks off a huge blue with Austria over a region of uh, area... Uh, now, he immediately starts a big blue with Austria over a region known as Silesia. It's now part of Poland, and it's a very, very mineral-rich area. It's got a lot of mineral resources and a lot of wealth in it, right? And uh, on top of that, it had a lot of, you know, uh, very, very productive farming lands and, you know, all sorts of natural resources, essentially. But uh, so as a result, he, uh, Frederick, he has his eye on this, and he goes, I'm, I'm going to have that, no worries, add that to the old kingdom. And, and if you'll believe it, he actually captures this area in seven weeks, despite absolutely the awful weather. We've got soldiers marching through rain and mud and all sorts of stuff. He captures it in under two months, which is a, a hugely stunning achievement for this uh, for this young king and definitely sort of opened the account in a very, very uh, forthright and, uh, and emblematic way of what was to come from him there. Now, this uh, this the fact that he captured Silesia, he uses this essentially to bankroll all of his future campaigns because, again, it's such a naturally productive area. There's so much going on there to fill the, the Prussian coffers. And this really sets him up to start kicking goals with both feet as we move further into his career as a king. Now, some important stuff happens on a, from a military perspective later on in the 1750s, more specifically in 1756. And now this is the point at which Austria and Britain stop being mates. They have a bit of a breakdown of their alliance and Austria instead starts hanging out with France. And, and this allegiance between Austria and France is pretty uh, problematic, I suppose, uh, when it comes to the, you know, the overall culture of politics in, in, uh, in Europe. Um, but, but this is a, is a really interesting opportunity for Frederick because he, as, as the King of Prussia, which is, is not a huge player on the international stage in Europe just yet, he sees his chance to actually jump into bed with the British. He realises that they will actually, they're, they're wanting, you know, a, a, a hunting partner. They're wanting an, another a, a ally after having lost uh, Austria. And so he actually, you know, approaches them and, and starts to play politics there. And as it turns out, he backs the winning horse. Because as we approach the Seven Years' War, uh, well, essentially the, the Seven Years' War begins because of some of the actions of, of Frederick the Great when uh, he, he invades Saxony uh, to kick things off good and proper. Now, he absolutely tore things up in Saxony and, and one by one, all these other nations uh, end up sort of joining this war. And it, even across the Atlantic, it becomes sort of a colonial war. Uh, people in, in North America will know the Seven Years' War as, as the French and Indian War. It was one of the precursors to the American Revolution, a very, very important conflict on a global global scale. Anyway, back over in Europe, uh, uh, once again, Frederick is just absolutely going hammer and tongs. He's having a great time. He's winning and winning and winning against France and against Austria. And Austria, interestingly enough, they've got this huge chip on their shoulder after the, conquer of Sile the, uh, the, the conquest of Silesia. And so they won't surrender. They actually won't give in as this young Prussian king is, is, is leveraging this considerable army and his, and his enormous military genius here uh, to, to really just absolutely punish the Austrians. And they won't give up. They won't give up. Now, another really important uh, uh, sort of uh, twist uh, takes place here in 1762, because at this point, Russia, they switch sides. When Elizabeth dies and Peter III takes the throne in Russia, he, uh, he gave essentially Fritz access to all of these Russian armies in exchange for a Prussian title. Peter III was a huge fan of Frederick the Great. And as a result, this, this uh, allegiance shifting uh, that he did on, on, from the Russian side changed the tide of, of, of much of the conflict 
conflict that was going on throughout Europe. Now, uh, obviously, on the other side, on uh, further over to Western Europe, Britain and France are, um, uh, are, are fighting because that's just what they did at this point. There was they didn't even really need much of a reason for it. They are just going at it like they've been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years, and now. As a result of, of France being tied up with Britain and as a result of now Russia joining the war further over on the east, Prussia is absolutely able to put it through Austria and licks them and, and completely, essentially knocks them out of the war and, and, and this results in a huge victory for Prussia. A lot of this is, is due to the fact that Frederick was an absolute military genius. He, he led his forces personally, which wasn't absolutely ubiquitous at the time. We didn't always have generals leading from the front. But I tell you what, Frederick did this and uh, he, uh, you know, he showed his bravery and his, his, his courage on the battlefield. He had six horses shot out from under him. Six horses throughout his military career were shot out from under him and he still lived to, uh, to, to fight, still lived to tell the tale. Quite an astonishing soldier as well. As, a, as an amazing military leader, as a general, um, and, and and as I mentioned, you know his his genius as, as a person, but also as as a as a tactician and as a general, uh, resulted in some absolutely stunning military victories throughout his career. His greatest achievement was probably the Battle of Rossbach, where he beat forty one thousand French and Austrian soldiers, forty one thousand of them, with only twenty one thousand soldiers of his own, outnumbered at nearly two to one. Right, he completely eviscerated the opposing army, and he did this by essentially uh, an enormous bluff, a feint uh, technique. He, he made it look like he was going to flee, but obviously this bloke, he's got balls of steel. He's you know obviously never going to flee from anything like this. He marched his army away from the battlefield at lightning speed, getting him out of there very, very quickly, um, and then chucked a huge big Yui coming all the way back around to the uh, to the, uh, the the back, essentially, of the Allies, the, the French and the, and the Austrians there, and uh, absolutely ruined them by, by attacking them from this unexpected... Um, unexpected angle and uh, I think it's it's important here to notice that a lot of the tactics and you know we're not really going to get get into it too much because it, it, it's quite complex and I don't fully understand a lot of it myself it's a lot of you know very in-depth military history type stuff a lot of the tactics and, and, and military stratagems that he, he came up with throughout his career were still being used when Prussia was fighting Napoleon so this bloke essentially as I said reorganized and revolutionized Prussia's approach to the military and uh, and the stuff that he that he got up to was hugely impactful through Throughout the uh, the following years in in the development of, of Prussia's military history, and so much so that when uh, Napoleon visited Frederick's tomb after having co- uh, conquered and captured uh, uh, um, uh, Prussia and Berlin in 1807, he he visited this tomb and he said, "Gentlemen, if this man were still alive, I would not be here." So this bloke really, Frederick the Great, is really up on that at that top tier upper echelon of military leaders, alongside people like Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, and Napoleon. But of course, as I mentioned, his his military career wasn't the only side of, of his of his um, uh, kingship that really stood him apart from from everyone else, all of his contemporaries and all of the other people that went before and after him. Because he was very much into civics and the arts, and a very forward thinking and progressive king in a lot of ways. Also, you know, as we've mentioned, having you know some other views that again haven't stood the test of time. But some of the things that he did to to sort of bring Prussia into the what was then the modern age were quite startling, and and in many cases ahead of their time. He raised the quality of life for his citizens enormously. He did all sorts of boring stuff that we don't need to get into, like reforming taxes and, and moder- modernising the bureaucracy. You know, again, we are talking about proto-Germans here, so they're super into all that sort of stuff. But he was a very, very clever and canny trader as well. He did all sorts of very clever financial and, and economic stuff that, that resulted in, again, 
enormous amounts of money pouring into the country. And this was, of course, the, the beginning of the bank roll started with the capture of Silesia, but he really snowballed that from a fiscal perspective into something that was, that was you know, enormously beneficial for Prussia as a nation. He was what we called an enlightened monarch. He revolutionised the education and the judicial systems. He allowed freedom of speech. He came very, very close to actually outlawing the death penalty. This is in the 18th century that this is happening. It's quite astonishing to think about. And he was generally, I mean, with this sort of stuff, he was just generally years and years ahead of his time. He had some very, very forward-thinking and enlightened ideas. And that's why we call him a Renaissance king, an enlightened monarch. And he absolutely, his favourite thing, of course, was the arts. He loved, he absolutely loved art and culture and all the sort of stuff that went on with that. He loved architecture. Berlin uh, was filled, after his reign, filled with libraries, opera houses, all sorts of stuff. You can go today to central Berlin and uh, in Bebelplatz you can stand, there's a big statue of him overlooking these libraries and opera houses and other huge, great big palaces that were built, uh, you know, under his uh, supervision there. So it wasn't only architecture in Berlin, however, just outside of Berlin there's Sanssouci. It's a it's a palace, beautiful palace surrounded by a wonderful park. It's in Potsdam. It's very, very nearby and just a train ride away from Berlin. And this was his sanctum. It was uh, absolutely gorgeous. Still is today. You can go and visit it today. And I very highly recommend it if you're over in the German capital to also make a tra- day trip down to Potsdam and see what's going on there. On top of architecture, he loved art, generally speaking. He collected paintings, he collected sculptures, and he bung them in, in this palace that I said in, in Potsdam. And many of them are still there today. You can wander through the palace itself and see much of the collection that Frederick uh, put together. But on top of art, he also loved music. I mentioned he was a flute player, he was a virtuosic flute player, and he actually wrote many uh, pieces, some symphonies and, and sonatas and, and things like that, uh, which, again, have survived to today. And, and this was a hallmark of his time as, as, as king, one of the, you know, his great love of, of music and, and, the, and, and the arts in this way. He was also very much into philosophy. He was mates with Voltaire, who you may have heard of, uh, the famous French philosopher. Uh, although uh, in the end of that, things actually ended up falling out. Uh, Voltaire stole, if you'll believe it, he stole the king's diary and uh, and published it back in France. Bit of a political scandal at the time. And this resulted in a huge breakdown of communications between these two blokes. But before that, they, they were huge fans of each other and uh, would correspond. And, you know, Voltaire would come out and come and hang out with, uh, with Frederick in, in Potsdam and, and they'd have a great time. And, and you know, and, and all of this sort of stuff really paints a picture of very forward-thinking, very positive uh, uh, public image of the monarch. And what what it's I, I sort of want to get into now is the other side of him as as a person, as a leader, as a king, but really just a, as a man, because he was. I, I, I tell you this, he was the grumpiest bastard you would ever meet. He was rude. He was cranky. He was just he was just a huge dickhead. Really, he was he was nasty to people. He fobbed off you know visitors and diplomats to advisors, and he just. He didn't have time a day for anyone he didn't really like. The common people loved him. They would cheer during parades and they'd love to see him riding about on his carriage on his horse or, you know, on official state visits or, you know, public appearances or whatever else. He was absolutely beloved by the by the people that he ruled over. But uh, he hated this. He hated the attention. He hated the, the you know, the drama and, the, and the, uh, the, the pomp and circumstance of being the king. He was a very reclusive bloke. He didn't love it at all. And uh, rather unfortunately, his his hatred of, of of you know of Polish people and Slavic people was uh, was something a, a real knock against him. Uh, you know, as you know, someone that I, I've claimed to be a very forward thinking bloke. He, he wasn't he wasn't big on, on on you know Eastern Europeans generally, and unfortunately, he didn't like Jews either. He he saw he, he had some very backwards views on, on on Jewish people, and this again ties into what Hitler was trying to do in the twentieth century, co opting many of the uh, of these rather unfortunate prejudices of uh, of Fred. 
Frederick the Great. And as I've mentioned, he absolutely hated women. He was a huge misogynist. He basically wrote the book on it back then. Uh, he banned them from his court. He never visited his wife. He had a very Spartan military court, uh, you know, filled with filled with men, filled with military advisors, military leaders, uh, and 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 what have you. And he didn't really have much time for for women whatsoever. And and as I mentioned, he he was he was probably a homosexual. Now, how much of his personality uh, tied in with his with his sexuality is, is still something that's up for debate. Of course, th- there is a, a general historical consensus that he was probably gay, and this this did have an enormous impact on him. You would think, a, a, as a leader, as as a person, uh, essentially, because he was you know hugely unhappy and hugely repressed because at the time this sort of thing just wasn't accepted in in public life. And you know, there's evidence to suggest that people like Peter Keith, Hans Hermann von Cutter, and and even Voltaire were potentially romantically involved with this bloke and uh, you know there's other there's other sort of more you know homoerotic stuff that definitely you know gives us some clues here his his temple of friendship at Sans Souci is uh, is filled with some uh, some pretty raunchy sculptures with some you know some some pretty big and and, and built blokes there so you, you know you, you might want to get across that if you if you're interested in uh, in having a look at what's going on there but uh, you know there there is conjecture that, that his sexuality was was part of the reason that he was just such a cranky old bastard. He's just such a miserable old bloke because he was never able, again as I've said, to be the man that he wanted to be. He was never able to you know uh, you know hit, pop on the leather chaps and head down to a pride march and and, and have a great time a, a, as the person that you know he, he truly was. And you know there's also conjecture here that that much of his his overachieving as as a as a king was due to his his sense of uh, of dissatisfaction with the, with the person that he was in. Internally. And again, all of this is conjecture, and, and it's very difficult to sort of pinpoint a lot of this. But the evidence that suggests that you know this bloke was very, very unhappy because he, he was repressed and a- unable to be the person he was, it's a pretty sobering lesson, really, as to how history can be shaped by prejudices that you know uh, that, that act on people and then you know generate further bitterness from from within them as well. So it's a really interesting and and an, an unfortunate sort of example of the way that 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 how these things kind of kind of shake out at some some points. Anyway, anyway, as a bloke, he had very, very few friends. He became, uh, you know, an even, uh, even more difficult person to be around when these friends sort of, you know, started dying off. Essentially, he became lonely and cynical and jaded, even more so than he was throughout his career, you know, on a personal level. And and unfortunately, uh, he died a very, very sad, very lonely and, 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 and very grumpy old man. He died at the age of 74 in, in 1786. Uh, and, and essentially, at this stage, as I say, was friendless. He was, uh, but uh, all the same, he was seen as an absolute hero to Prussia and to the Prussian people. And after 1871, of course, uh, with the with the unification of Germany, he, he became a German hero at this point as well. Now, unfortunately, I did touch upon this a little bit. Uh, Hitler really made a big effort to connect himself with Fritz as, as a great German leader, you know, thanks to his militarism, his, his expansionism, and again, his, his dislike of Jews. Hitler kept a portrait of Fritz in his, in his office, and much of the, uh, the sort of, you know, this, this historical propaganda that was put out by the Nazis during the Third Reich was attempting to tie uh, Hitler as a spiritual successor to Frederick the Great. And in the wake of the Second World War, I have to say, Frederick the Great, he suffered enormously in, in the history books because he was seen as something of a Nazi icon. And this is enormous, you know, it, it, it took an absolute nosedive, his reputation, um, because of this. But it, it started to recover as we take a more balanced view of his career and his achievements and, of course, his prejudices and, and how that, that ties into it. No matter how you look at this bloke, he is an enormously uh, engaging, 
and and very interesting and a very you know contradictory figure in history. Someone who on the on the face of it was was an, a great and influential leader. Someone who shaped the course of world history. And then from from a personal from a private perspective, he was someone who was you know deeply unhappy and and had a lot going on that was pretty negative you know both internally and externally and this is one of the reasons that he's one of my favorite figures from history because there is just so much meat on the bones when discussing and, and talking about a bloke like this in any case you know he he's after you know dying and and and, and having been uh, you know having his legacy secured for him the the final the sort of the final chapter in, in his story actually only really finished was finished in in 1991 so very very recently indeed after the fall of the berlin wall he was finally repatriated with his palace in sans souci where his bones were buried they were interred with his greyhounds he had a great number of italian greyhounds throughout his life and so today his bones rest there uh, alongside the you know the the, the resting place of, of of these dogs who again were said to have been his only real friends in life But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Frederick the Great, Frederick II of Prussia, and uh, all of the stuff that he got up to throughout his career as king. I'll be back next week with more Half-Assed History. But in the meantime, if you want to stay in touch with the show, you can jump on our website, halfassedhistory.net, and you can send us an email as well if you want to get in touch. Maybe you've got an idea for a uh, another topic or something you want to have a chat about. No worries at all. Send us through an email, uh, halfassedhistory at gmail.com. That is that for this week, ladies and gentlemen. I'll leave you today with a question to think about here. Obviously, we talked a little bit about the relationship between Russia and Prussia. Now, obviously, today, Prussia is Germany. Now, this was this was posed by uh, Wawa Wawa Luigi, a Reddit historian here. He asks, if Germany is the fatherland and Russia is the motherland, who is their child? Who is their child?